Welcome to The Last Word on the Crosstalk Messages podcast. Every week we take a last look at the message from the most recent Crosstalk. Enjoy this short conversation and stay tuned for the full message directly after. Good morning and welcome to The Last Word. My name is Johnny and I'm joined here by JD. Good to be here this morning. And Cameron. I'm glad to be here this morning. Ooh, okay. <laughs> Very nice. So, Very nice. JD. You kicked us off on a rather spicy series, getting into the nitty-gritty on how should I as a Christian view the world. And so I loved how you kicked it off with the start of the Bible in that God is the creator. What a big and awesome concept. And I really loved your message. It really moved me. And so my first question is, how does understanding that God is the creator first before reading the Bible like the whole rest of the Bible, how does that help us understand the rest of the Old Testament and the New Testament? Oh my gosh, that is that is one of the biggest keys because in Christian thought, there's no more like fundamental distinction than that between creator and creature. There's so much that like rides on this theologically for us. And the problem is, uh, as we talked about on Thursday, like, God is the central main character in the Bible and creation is this secondary character. And we as human beings have become like the antagonist in this story, meaning that we are in conflict with God. Like we are God's representatives here on earth made in his image, but we don't always consider ourselves as part of this dependent creation. And we sinfully declare our own independence from God, which places us as an adversary to him. And so you see this play out throughout the rest of the biblical narrative, and particularly in the Old Testament, where God appoints a representative to rule on his behalf, to be his image bearer, and they screw it up, they rebel. And so it's this story that just recycles over and over and over again, where God chooses someone to represent him. They declare their independence from him and eventually screw it up. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the entire history of the nation of Israel, right? True. That's good. Yeah. I think about just the fact that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And as we live out our lives, knowing that we have this foundational truth that he's the creator and the sustainer of everything that there is. Mm -hmm. And I feel like having this knowledge of where it all began and where God started with our world as we know it and knowing that he is the creator and sustainer, I feel like that gives us hope for the rest of scripture and Mm -hmm. for today, right now. I mean, if we know that he can bring something out of nothing and bring order out of chaos, then we can believe that he can split the waters because he's the creator of the waters. Mm. And we can believe that he can raise Jesus Christ from the dead because he's the creator of all things and he can do all things. And we can believe that Jesus is going to come back one day. And I think it all starts with believing first that God is the creator and sustainer Mm. of all that we know. Preach. That was so good. (laughs) Yeah, thinking of this, uh, whenever I read stories like, you know, about David and about Moses, it doesn't become like, oh, this is just a story about David doing this, but rather it's like, okay, this is a different, you know, this is a character in the story of God, the creator, and, you know, what he's doing here on earth. Yeah. Um, And so my second question is I want to speak on what people might be thinking during such a touchy series. And that is, how do we cater to those walking in crosstalk, hearing these world-defining topics for the first time? Like we're going through community group and then strands. And how do we walk with these people that might be having doubts or confusion on, this is a whole new way to look at the world? 
Oh my gosh, absolutely. This is a foundational change than, quite frankly, what most of us are taught in school, mm-hmm. right? And so when you walk into True. your biology class, you're hearing a very different understanding of the foundations of our world. Yeah. And so I do want to like take a second to say that we're not talking about the mechanism mm-hmm. of creation, whether the Big Bang Theory took place, whether evolution is a thing, or whether we're talking a literal seven-day creation. We're not talking about any of this when we talk about God as the creator. What's important here is that there is a creator and sustainer of life. What they would say uh, is that there's a divine author, Mm. that there is something outside of ourselves who is exercising sovereignty and rule and creative power over the world. Mm. Now, Christians have disagreed for a long, long time about the mechanism of creation, but we all fall back on this very common unifying point that God is the creator, that there is an author to life and that none of this is an accident. Now, that leaves a lot of room for interpretation, which is the point, is that each of us develop our own convictions about how we believe God created, but we enter into our community groups, into our strands, into crosstalk as a place to begin to dialogue about what does it mean and how does it shape our worldview when we hold God as the creator. And that's a beautiful place. That's what community was created to do, was to be a place for us to dialogue about these things, to wrestle with these kind of topics, and to begin to explore uh, the answers to those. Yeah, absolutely. I think creating that safe space is like the number one key to invite people to have those questions because to some people hearing this for the first time, it might just be a Bible story, but it's also a Bible reality too. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is the reality that we live in. And something I always think about and something that I always say um, when I talk to people about this is that we can trust that the Holy Spirit has preserved what we need to know. Mm-hmm. And what we need to know is that God is the creator and the sustainer. And like JD said, all those other things can fall second and fall short to what we need to cling to. Um, and that's mm. God being the creator. It's so good. Yeah. I just driving into Wimberley, I mean, you know, I'm like looking at the hills and I'm like, man, yeah. this is that changes your view of the world. Yeah. It does. It does. And, I mean, just waking up every day, you know, I'm hoping that like these people can that are like maybe hearing these concepts for the first time can like I can just like help them walk through it. And maybe like for me, I got to see that, you know, taking every single day, like being able to like wake up and be like, God, I'm thankful that I get to wake up today. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it just changes my perspective on the little things that you know I took for granted. Yeah. Um, and so this last question is, um, you know, JD, Kim, how do y'all feel like we should personally and practically walk away different? Like, what are some different steps that we can take after hearing that, hey, God's the creator of everything? Mm-hmm. I think that the big thing for me is, this is just like a big fancy word, but it, it's a sacramental view of life. It's viewing God's presence in every given moment. And so it is mm-hmm. taking something, and what we talked about on Thursday, for example, was the act of breathing or making your bed or things of this nature, mm-hmm. taking small ordinary acts mm-hmm. and intentionally seeking to understand and recognize God's presence mm-hmm. in the given moment. The God is in everything that we do. And that, uh, there was a guy way back during kind of like the monastic period called Brother Lawrence. And his whole goal, he was a dishwasher. And his entire goal was to spend all day, every day in the presence 
of God. Mm-hmm. And I think that when we begin to understand God as the creator and the sustainer of everything, and in particular, our life, then we get to see him in every little bit of our life. And when we recognize that, it does make a profound difference when we drive into Wimberley and we come into the mm-hmm. valley and we see the beauty that is in the Wimberley Valley, Valley, but it's also the beauty in every breath I take, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it's beginning to recognize God in the everyday, in the every moment. Mm-hmm. I think about how we can walk away from this series um, and reflecting on everything that we see, knowing that we can never lose our awe of everything that God has done and also who he is. Because if we look at the beauty of the world, it's a reflection of the most perfect and beautiful God that there is. Mm. Um, And also walking through life, knowing that God has created not only everything around us, but who we are, um, knowing that we're image bearers. The Imago Dei, like JD has Mm. talked about, um, changes not only our view of ourselves and the way we view ourselves, but also the way we view people and our friends and people at Texas State, people we just encounter when we're getting coffee. Um, And I think it helps us to have a heart that's never hardened to the things of God, to be in a constant state of awe Mm. of everything that he's done. And so I think I'm going to walk away from the series with just a new um, perspective and understanding of hopefully everything that God is and have my eyes even more open to everything that he is and who he is. Gosh, that is so good. Yeah, I don't know if it was, it just worked out so well this week, how there were just some crazy sunsets. And I think that after hearing your message, I was able to just like stop and just look at like, wow, God is like the painter. He's the creator of all of this. And it Mm -hmm. was just Mm -hmm. great reflection time. Um, And so I took away a lot from that message. And I was able to see it apply to my life in ways that I didn't realize were going to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, so cool. Also, I think that there should be a Christian rapper named Brother Lawrence. <laughs> <laughs> it fits. And he should have some song called Dishwasher. We or have something. your new career, Johnny. There you go. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> All right, JD, what do you got for us? Absolutely. So this uh, week coming up, we'll continue in our series on uh, the book of Genesis, those first three chapters, and we'll transition from talking about God as the creator to what he created being good. And so we'll talk about both. uh, Hopefully this is like this week, a little bit less metaphysical and more like practical (laughs) when we look at God creating things good. Mm. And what does that mean? And how do we interact with both our fellow like human beings who are created good, who are created in God's image, but also how do we interact with the creation, Mm -hmm. which has been declared good by God. So I'm excited to continue to walk through this. Stay tuned and we'll see you guys on Thursday. Yet, are we feeling all right? I know the workload now officially starts to pick up. I talked to somebody yesterday who was taking like a it's like a, I think like an eight-week course, and they're like, yeah, so I have a midterm on Friday. It's like, that is just not the right way to end your second week of school. I am with you guys. I'm actually, my school schedule is very different than y'all's. I'm actually in finals week right now, so it's like you guys are still cruising, and I'm like heading into the finish line, but... I'm excited to be back. I'm, I'm glad. I'm like one of those weird people who's very glad that school is back, mainly because you guys are back around. And I don't have much to do when everybody leaves for the summer. But if you guys are new, or maybe it's your first time in a long time, my name is JD. It is really an honor to serve as the Crosstalk Pastor. Um, last week, we kind of kicked off the semester and we started a series on the book of Genesis. Now, Genesis very broadly, we talked about this last week, is a book of beginnings. 
It's about the beginning of the world. It's about the beginning of the ordering of humankind. It's about the beginning of the nation of Israel. Now, any of you guys who have ever tried a Bible in a year plan or spent time uh, like trying to read the Bible on your own knows that the first three chapters of the book of Genesis are what we call the creation narrative. And really the fall narrative is, is Genesis chapter three. But Genesis stands at the beginning of our Bibles because creation is such a fundamental theological category for the rest of the biblical narrative. Now, what that means is that only in relationship to creation can all of God's subsequent action throughout the biblical narrative actually begin to make sense for us. It only makes sense if we start at the beginning, the ordering of the world, how God created and desired for this world to be. The creation and the fall narrative are critical for us as believers to understand because they shape the way in which we view and understand God, ourselves, and the people around us, the, the other people that we interact with in this world. And so reading this narrative is really an exercise in what I would call self-understanding. It's an exercise in self-understanding. The stories that we read become a vehicle through which we begin to learn and understand our identity as children of God created in his image. We talked about how we are going to approach these chapters topically, meaning that we're going to go through and we're gonna pull out very specific theological concepts and we're gonna focus on those during our time together each week. And by doing so, what we're doing is we're developing the tools that we need to put in our theological tool belt so that when we go back out into the world, we are formed by a biblical worldview. In other words, they are categories that, that frame and shape the way in which we interact with and view the world around us. Those categories, very briefly, were that God created. The very first sentence of the Bible declares that God created and ordered the world, that he is the one who sustains it. The world is not some grand cosmic accident, but it was very intentional. It's incredibly intentional. So we see that God created. We also see that what God created is good. We see that in Genesis 1.31, that God saw everything that he had created and he called it actually very good. And this view of creation, of, of us as human beings being created as good, stands against this very pessimistic worldview that human beings are what's wrong with the world, that we are the ones who are ruining it. What we see is that this was not God's design, that this is not how he intended it to be. He created it and it was very good. Now, he not only created it good, but it also demonstrates for us that human beings are created in God's image. This is the imago Dei. It's Latin for image of God. At the beginning of the, of the world, God defined our worth so that sinful human beings wouldn't be responsible for determining the value of a human life. We are not responsible for determining the value of another human being's life. When we look at others as being created in the image of God, that changes the way we understand the value of the people that we interact with on an everyday basis. From conception to death, human beings have dignity, they have eminence, and they have significance because they are made in God's image. So we see that God created, that he created it good, that human beings were created in his image. We also see that male and female, he created them. 
Genesis 1.27 points this out for us. It literally says, male and female, he created them. And this demonstrates for us that gender was a part of God's ordering of the world. Gender was a part of God's ordering of the world. Biological sex in every individual is one aspect of God's design that proclaims his creativity, that proclaims his image, his divine image in every human being. The distinct features of every individual reminds us that no life is ever interchangeable, replaceable, or worthless. And lastly, we see that we're broken. Genesis chapter 3 is this entire narrative about how sin enters the world. Now, where did sin come from? Well, very simply, the, very, the first two human beings, Adam and Eve, are told that they can eat of every tree in the garden except for this one tree that is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, what do they do? They eat of that tree. And so sin enters the world, and what that did is it disrupts the perfect relationship and fellowship that human beings had with their creator, God. And now, this is a problem that we all deal with. We all have a sin nature, which is very simply the tendency to want to do the wrong thing. We can think of it in that way. And when we act on that, we, our actions, our words, and our thoughts miss the mark. And what it does is it causes harm to us and to others and to the world around us. Sin does not happen in a vacuum. It always affects those around us. Now, these five theological truths that we just outlined frame the way in which we think about and view God. And this week, what we're going to do is we're going to begin by unpacking the first of those, which is that God created. That God is the creator of this world, that he is the sustainer of this world. When I was a little kid, my parents uh, enrolled me in these art classes on Saturday mornings at, uh, it was the Columbus College of Art and Design. And so I got to be a part of, as a little kid, these, these art classes, and I got exposed to all of these different uh, forms of art. I learned how to throw clay for the very first time. I was making pottery. I learned how to weave, and so I made like all of these coasters from my parents' house growing up. And we did a lot of like mixed media stuff and painting, but what I really fell in love with was drawing. And it was the use of charcoals and the way that it, it really could create these unique black and white images. And this love of art really translated into college as well. I took a couple of drawing classes and then decided I just didn't have enough time for it because they tell you it's like a three-hour class, but the reality is you spend like 20 hours outside of class making something come together. It's just not well advertised in any way. But all of this has led up to this great appreciation for art. All of this exposure has, has caused me to, to have this deep love of going to museums, of going to galleries, of interacting with artists, looking at their work. And for me, the art that I love most is landscapes. I love landscapes. And I think it's because it's so difficult to do it extremely, extremely well. It is in really difficult to do landscapes. It's something that I've never even begun to feel competent in creating for myself. And so when I see it done well, it is something that stirs an emotional reaction inside of me. Years ago, I, I had the chance to go to the Met in New York. 
And I was there with my family and we came upon this room. And this room had, it was basically at the time, a room full of landscapes. And so they had all of these Van Goghs and these Monets and these Cezannes and these Pizarros and I was just like in love. And I just had this moment where actually I was just emotional. I couldn't leave that room. And then I look up and it's been a half hour and my, my entire family is gone and I'm like the little kid in Target who can't find his mom, like just like wandering around. Are you guys here? But the one that I fell in love with, the one that I just couldn't stop staring at was this painting. Now this guy, his name was Albert Bierstadt, came over from Germany and he began painting landscapes in America. And for some reason, there is, there's something about this that just completely captures me. Now, this is the mountains outside of Lander, Wyoming, which is a place that I've spent a decent amount of time. And so maybe that's why it captures, for me, this different era, this different time period of a place that I found very near and dear to my heart. Now, I also have the same sort of reaction uh, and it's different for everybody, but for me, it's when I'm in really big, unforgiving places. Places where the environment and the landscape could easily like end my life, quite frankly, where it's like, oh my gosh, this place is so awe-inspiring and it's so grand. And it gives me a, this profound sense of how small I am and how big God actually is in that space. And I'm drawn into this deep, profound understanding that this is the God, that they're, the God of the universe is the one who created this and that he is mindful of me, individually and personally, that he knows me. Now, there's a key difference between something like a Utah landscape or any other wild place for that matter and the painting that you guys saw. In a painting, the artist is creating something. They're using all of their skills, they're using all of their experience and they're drawing upon that to bring something to life in a really profoundly beautiful way. And I think that in a lot of ways, this is the closest that we can get in human expression to this theological truth of God as the creator. But the artist is always creating and drawing upon something that is already created. Now, when we stand in these incredibly beautiful and awe-inspiring places, we, we come to this realization of God as the ultimate creator, that he brought this world into being, something that we could never do, bringing something out of nothing. We don't have the power or the capability. All of our acts of creation and creativity are small expressions and representations of God's creative power. Now, for some of you guys, you guys are creative. You love uh, art in whatever that looks like, whether that's writing, whether that's painting, whether it's digital. You guys love these things. And it causes this stirring inside of us that's supposed to draw us back to God. In the same way that when we go to beautiful places, whether it's just down the road or whether we fly across the country or across the world, we have these awe-inspiring emotional reactions. And what we will see today is that when we participate in those activities or we visit those places, they demonstrate for us the creator God. And that's what we're supposed to see when we open the biblical narrative. 
The first thing we need to recognize when we read the biblical narrative is that God is the principal protagonist in the Christian story. God is the principal protagonist in the Christian story. He is the main character. We are not the main character. The Bible is not about us. It is about God. Now, the second main character is creation. And the first verse of the Bible demonstrates this relationship. Genesis 1, 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In Christian thought, there's no more fundamental distinction than that between creator and creature. There's no more fundamental distinction than that of creator and creature. And there's so much that rides on this theologically. The central problem is that we, the creature, human beings, have become the antagonist in the story. We as humanity, God's representatives here on earth, do not always consider ourselves as part of the dependent creation, but we have sinfully declared our own independence from God. We want to be the God of our own universe. And so what I want us to see tonight is that this well-defined theology of creation is essential for the foundation of all of our Christian thought. It helps us to understand God's given role to us as his image bearers here on earth. So let's start by recalling the creation narrative here in Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And verse three here, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Now, on the second day, God separates the waters, the waters above from the waters below. On the third day, God creates the seas and the land. And on the land, it says that he creates vegetation. That's all of our plants and trees of every different kind. On the fourth day, he creates the sun, the moon, and the stars. And now these were set to rule the day and the night, the, year, the days and the years, the seasons that go by. On the fifth day, it says that God created the fish and the birds. And he says, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. Now on the sixth day, it says that God creates two things. The first of which is all of our land creatures. All the creatures here on the land, it specifically says livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth. Then in verse 26, it says, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. This is the story of God's creation and ordering of the world. So what is the biblical narrative claiming right here? That's the key question for us to ask. What is the biblical narrative claiming here? The God created. That's it. I spent a way more time than necessary trying to come up with a more grand or eloquent way of saying it, but this is what the author wants us to understand. God created. Now, 
our Christian worldview is shaped by this belief that God created. That God created ex nihilo is, again, you'll hear me use a lot of Latin things because this is when a lot of this stuff was first put into words. Ex nihilo is another Latin word that means out of nothing. That God created out of nothing. And this is the foundational claim of Christian doctrine. That God in his sovereignty created the heavens and the earth and everything in it. Irenaeus, who was this early Christian theologian who you guys don't care about, said it this way. While men indeed cannot make anything out of nothing, but only out of matter already existing, yet God is in this point preeminently superior to men, that he himself called into being the substance of his creation when it previously had no existence. This view implies not only that creation is this free act of good of God, but that it was good. That God's creative act was good. Okay, I've been talking at a very like way up here in the clouds thing. What does this mean for us? Well, it means that God is the source of all that there is. God is the source of all that there is. Now, there are two implications of that for us. The first of which is that God is the creator. This is the nature of God. And this rules out the idea that God created something out of something. Namely, that there was pre-existent matter. And so when we say that God is the creator, we hold that God created something where it didn't exist before. You guys following with me? If he created the world out of pre-existent matter, then he is no greater than we are because that is what our creative acts are. They are creating something out of something that already exists. It's repurposing in our creative act. So this truth places God above us as the ultimate creator, as the only one who can bring something out of nothing. Now, the second implication is that God is the sustainer. God is the creator, but he is also the sustainer. And this points to the relationship between God and the world. Since God alone is God, that means that nothing else is eternal, that it doesn't exist outside of relationship with God. Nothing is self-sustaining without God. It owes all of its existence to the sustaining power of God on a second-by-second basis. So we see that God is the source of all that there is, and that means that God is the creator and that God is the sustainer. Let me demonstrate this in this way. We live in a scientific world where our breathing, our breathing, which sustains our life, is viewed primarily as a scientific reaction that takes place. Oxygen, O2, goes in, and carbon dioxide, CO2, comes out. Now, what happens when we minimize this to a scientific process is that we reason God out of the process. 
Well, viewing God as the creator and the sustainer of all life changes this from a scientific thing that takes place to a life-sustaining thing. Breathing is no longer a chemical process, but an act of God that sustains our life. He created us and gives us life on a moment-by-moment basis. Every breath we take is due to God's spirit, which prolongs our life. This is the change of perspective that happens when we begin to view God as the creator. This is what's called a sacramental view of life. It is this understanding and recognizing the creating and sustaining presence of God on a moment-by-moment basis, not just in church, not just in community group, not when we spend time with God alone, but in every moment. It's recognizing God's active presence and movement in every moment of life. So here is what I propose that you guys do. I want you guys to make your bed every day this week. I want you guys to make your bed every day this week. Not just like throw the covers over it and leave it half made, but make it. Intentionally make your bed every day for seven days. And I want you guys to make it the very first thing that you do in the morning when you wake up. Make your bed. Before you go make coffee, before you start scrolling on your phone, make your bed. Now, I know that sounds an awful lot like your parents growing up. I mean, in all reality, what's the point? You're just making your bed to unmake it again, again later in the day, right? It feels pointless. I don't know if any of you guys know Greek mythology. It's like Sisyphus where he just keeps rolling the rock up the hill and then it goes back down to the bottom and then he just goes and rolls and he spends all of eternity rolling this rock up the hill only for it to fall back down the hill. That's what feel like making your bed feels like. I'm just doing something to undo it at a later point in time only to have to then redo it again when I wake up. I can assure you that the reason that I'm asking you to do this is not because then your bed will look like one of the Pinterest boards where it's always like perfectly made and their rooms are awesome. But here's what I promise you. If you start making your bed every day, your day will be imprinted differently. Your day will be imprinted differently. Our habits subtly change and form us as human beings. They define who we are and what we are about. So when we make our bed, the first activity of our day, the first move that we make, it is not one of unmade chaos, but is an act as a co-laborer with God. It changes the way that we begin our day every day. In the creation story, God enters into chaos and he creates order and beauty. He creates order and beauty. And in making your bed, you reflect that creative act in the tiniest, most minuscule way. In your small chaos, you make small order. In your small chaos, you make small order and you recognize and you recall that creation story in the habit of doing it over and over and over again every day. And it begins to form who you are as a human being. Let this act of making your bed become for you a moment of recognizing God as the creator and the sustainer of your life. 
Making your bed every day is a practice that reacquaints you with your Creator. It teaches us to slow down, to believe that in those small moments, God meets us and He brings meaning to our day. It's not just some meaningless, pointless, never-ending daily task, but this small part of our day becomes profoundly meaningful because it is our site of worship. In making our bed, we train ourselves to live with our eyes open to God's creating and sustaining presence in the midst of our everyday life. So can we do that for seven days? Just as a community, can we make our bed? Okay, cool. I believe that when we become more aware of our habits, when we become more aware of the ways in which our habits are forming our life, and we orient our habits in a way that reflect the things of God, we begin to understand these profound truths of God as the creator in meaningful everyday ways. We begin to develop this sacramental lens through which we view our lives where it's not just a mundane task, but it is a site of our worship. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you, Jesus, that you are the creator. God, that you are the sustainer of life and order in this world. And God, we thank you that that also means that you are present and that you are active in every last piece of it. Father, we praise you, Lord, that you are the creator and the author of life that you've created these grand things in the world around us that we see, and yet you are mindful of us. As minuscule, tiny human beings, you are mindful of us. God, in this moment, we recognize that you are the source of all that there is, Jesus. We ask you now, God, that you would begin to form us into people who recognize your movement into people who recognize your presence in an everyday moment. And God, we pray that as we turn our habits over to you, as we surrender our habits to you, meaningless things such as making our bed become profoundly meaningful as we come to a deeper understanding of who you are. So God, we give the rest of this time to you, Jesus, and we respond now in worship.